There's so much to learn, isn't there, in following the Lord, so many great things to see, and we, we just put God in a box and make things a little too narrow when God has so many things that he would like to show us and teach us and encourage us along the way. I'm excited about harvest. I want to see North Alabama come to Jesus. What about you? Amen. I, I, you know what? I want to see uh, North Alabama because that's our assignment. I want to see North Alabama not be divided by politics or race or issues, but united at the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to see us come under the culture of Jesus, kingdom culture. Come on. How many can say amen to that? How many are willing to say, I'll lay my ideas down for God's will to be done? Huh? I'm willing to be healed of the past and set free to go into what God has. Well, this is the birthday of the church, Pentecost Sunday. It's such a powerful, powerful day. And it's important for us to, to uh, understand what this means to us today and, and for us to have a sense of, of legacy and what's going on. You know, today in our culture, we're very disjointed. Uh, our families are, are very dysfunctional. Our families are very separated. And so, yeah, come on out and, and, and bring me that altar out. Thank you. You know, we're still talking about the altered priesthood, and I'm going to connect that today as well. Thank you, Pastor Joy. But I want you to think about uh, so many people, are, they're, they're not aware of their family, of, 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 of it's, family's not a positive thing for them. There's not this legacy, this generational blessing that comes. And so I want you to understand that being a believer, uh, a Christian, a believer in Christ, not just a person who walks in a building or owns a Bible, but a born-again believer. We put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. You're part of his church, only one church around the face of this world. Many races, many languages, many traditions, many wonderful things, but we're united in Christ. And so today I want you to see that you and I are privileged today to be a part of a family uh, of believers that has been growing and maturing and building over the century. And that we are part of something today that's bigger than us. And what we do today matters. I've heard someone say, and it's true, it's true of any institution, but particularly the church. The church is always one generation away from extinction. You ever thought about that? The church, every day we wake up, is one generation away from extinction. If we do not pass the gospel on to the next generation, then it dies with us. I refuse to preside over the funeral of the church. Amen? I refuse to go to heaven uh, living in these days where the Bible prophesied that in the last days God would pour out His Spirit. I refuse to go to heaven. When I get to heaven, somebody says to me, hey, what was it like down there? You know, I don't want the apostle Paul and, 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 and Peter and these apostles who saw the beginning of the church. I don't want to have to go to heaven and look at them in the face and say, man, this is what happened in the beginning. What was it like by the time you guys got there? Well, um... You know, um, we had some nice chairs and um, property. They're like, yeah, okay. So, like, what about the revival? Well, um, uh, we had a really nice sound system in the church. And, yeah, but what about, you know, souls? I mean, was revival happening? You know, we we had 3,000 in the first message. We're like, how many got saved when you preach? Well, Well, um, you know, everybody was happy and, feel me? Get me? We're the church. That's how it started. You know, babies are babies. We're supposed to have grown up. Am I pushing a little bit already on this thing? I'm going to, let's just be honest. I mean, this is our family. This is who we are. 
And so we look at this. So, so, so look, so we're, this is the birthday of the church. God's plan for reaching the world was launched on this day. And we're included. How many are thankful that plan's been working? You can say amen today. So, so what do we learn from this? And what are we reminded as we look back, understanding the altar and the altered priesthood and everybody involved? And, and, and how does that impact us today? Well, you know, we call Matthew 28. I'm going to read from Acts 1. Matthew 28, we call that the Great Commission. That's the job description of the church. What did Jesus say after his death on the cross and triumphant resurrection? He gathered the disciples with him, and he said, I want you to do what? Go where? Across the street? Where did he say? Go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to all creatures, to everybody. And then he said, teach them to obey the things I've commanded you. And he said, just so you know, I'm going to be with you to the end of this age. So he's with us. He promised he's with us right now. And our job description for the church is that we don't build exclusive clubs and that we're not involved in just taking care of ourselves, but that our primary responsibility is why we do kingdom builders. What do we say about kingdom builders? Our over and above giving to missions here locally and in the U.S. and around the world. We want to reach more people more quickly than we ever have before. And it's working. But here's our job assignment, and why do we do that? Because Jesus said, I wanted to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then here we are in Acts chapter 1. I'm setting up this birthday celebration. How did we get here? So, so he tells them, here's your job assignment. Everybody on this planet should get a chance to know who I am, right? How many are thankful you heard about the gospel? Did it change your life? Like we sang today, Jesus changed our lives. So then he says, you're going to go to all the world and preach the gospel. He said, however... You don't need to do that in your own ability. So look in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This wasn't a suggestion but a command. What was the command? Do not leave Jerusalem. Now, he had just told them, I want you to go everywhere and preach. He said, but don't start that. Don't leave this city. Don't begin your job description until you've been enabled and empowered to do that. So do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were speaking about an earthly kingdom. Okay. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father is set by his own authority. Look at verse 8. This is what he said you need to know. But you will receive power when? When will they receive power? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what happens when you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you? What happens then? He says, and you will what? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem where they were at that moment. And then in all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas. And he said it doesn't stop till you've gone to the ends of the earth. So he's reaffirming the job description of the church is to tell everybody on the planet who Jesus is. Because it's good news, it's great news. See, Christianity is not battling religions. Our enemy is not Islam. Our enemy is not Buddhism. Our enemy is not these other religions. They are counterfeits to the truth we get to share. Our job description, our privilege, our blessing is that we are here to introduce everyone on this planet to the good news of Jesus Christ. Not religion, but a relationship with God. How many hear what I'm saying? See, we're not battling those things. Our battle is not with, with, with personalities. It's with principalities. So we get to share the gospel. So he says, look, I want you to tell everyone 
that I died for them, that they can be saved and forgiven and have hope and all the things we sing about today. And he says, I don't want you to start that until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit because you'll be empowered to do that. Why? Because spreading the gospel, listen to me, in this day and time is a spiritual deal. It's not just a physical thing because the Satan doesn't want people to hear about Jesus. And he wants to close their ears and bring confusion and division and, and, and divide people. And if you and I are going to share Christ in this day and time, and we desperately need to do that, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. How many understand that? Okay, thank you for those eight. How many of the rest of us understand? We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be who Jesus called us to be, right? Okay. So they're waiting. So what does it look like when the Holy Spirit empowered them in the church launch? Here's the birthday of the church, Acts 2. Look at verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, the wisdom of God, Jews from around the world had come to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. So look at the wisdom of God. The nations had come to this one place, and that was the day God would begin his church. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who were they all? The 120. We read about in Acts 1 that were praying. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw it seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4. How many of them? All of them were what? filled with the Holy Spirit, and what they do? And began to speak in other tongues. How? As the Spirit enabled them. Can I help you with something? I, I don't know why. Tongues has, we'll see it here, from the very first moment, even to this day, has become a lightning rod in the church world. And yet it was always part and parcel of his church. It was just how the church began. It was nothing, it was nothing strange to God. It was unusual to the, to the carnal mind to the fleshly mind, but tongues has always been an amazing gift God gave his church to communicate with him. So they began to speak in other tongues as they were there. Now watch what happened. Verse 5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound of these 120 praying in unknown tongues, of the rushing mighty wind, people began to gather around. Say, what in the world is going on here? Uh, they came together in bewilderment. Why? Look at this. Because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? So as they were praying in tongues on the birthday of the church as the Holy Spirit enabled them, were they just babbling emotionally? Was it just gibberish and emotional, uh, 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 you know, running at the mouth? No, they were saying distinct and clear words and languages they had never learned naturally, but supernaturally as the Holy Spirit enabled them, the limits came off of them, and they no longer were praying with the capacity of the human mind. They were now praying with the capacity of the Spirit of Almighty God. God. And people were amazed. They said, I know these guys don't know my language, and I'm listening to them pray, and they're speaking about God. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, then how is it each of us hears them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. What do they hear them saying? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. To speak in tongues simply means you're speaking in a tongue, un tongue unknown to the speaker. The speaker is supernaturally 
being enabled to pray by the Holy Spirit. In this instance, it was a sign as these people were saying, wow, what are they doing? Now watch this. So they ask each other, verse 12, amazed and perplexed. You know, can, can I be honest with you? It's been a long time since anything happened in a church that amazed anybody. I'll see on that for a moment. You know, that, that people came and said, well, that wasn't on the bulletin. I, 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 I didn't see that. But when the Holy Spirit enables his church and takes human limitations off of us, then we have a lot better opportunity to reach people with the gospel. You know, what am I reading? I'm reading to you. I'm reading to you and me our family history today. I'm talking about how we were birthed and who we are. Not, not, not the version that just is out here today, but how we originally began. This is, this is better than ancestry DNA. I didn't have to swab your mouth and send it off. This is, this is us. This is your family. Does anybody understand the family? This is us. This is how we began. This is our birth. This is who we are. So, so they say, man, uh, amazing, perplexed. You know, what does this mean? That's the great question we want everybody to ask us so we can tell them who Jesus is. There's always going to be the next crowd. Look at the next question. Or verse 13. Somehow ever made fun of them and said, hey, they've just had too much wine. I'm going to tell you, you're partying hard to be drunk at 9 in the morning. It was 9 a.m. when this kicked off. I mean, I've known some folks like that. I got run over by a guy at 9 o'clock in the morning many years ago. Ran a red light, hit me on the Beltline indicator. And, and by all physics and, and, and speeds and what have you, I should have died instantly in that moment. But it wasn't my day. God spared me. He hit me going 70 miles an hour on the driver's door, caved my car in. The seat was bent all the way over to the stick shift of my little Honda Civic, knocked me across four lanes of traffic, knocked me out cold. The first ambulance on the scene, after he hit me, he kept going and went all across the median and ran into another car head on and nearly killed that lady. And the first ambulance on the scene, uh, when they saw my car impact driver's side, he told the, 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 uh, the second man in the ambulance, told the driver, don't stop, that guy's dead. Let's get to the second car and see if we can save someone. We'll let the second ambulance get him. So when they came to the hospital, the guy says, I want to meet you. He said, I've been on a lot of wrecks. Nobody ever lives in what you lived through. He said, I just wanted to see what you look like. Now, I had some stuff going on, had some internal injuries I didn't know about. At first, I woke up in the emergency room, and, and word got out to the Calvary family, and my mother and father told me that the emergency room at Decatur General filled up with people praying. There was such a prayer meeting going on in the emergency waiting room. My dad said one guy came walking in and stopped and looked around, took his baseball cap off and bent down. He, he walked into church. And I was laying there after a while, and they were x-raying me, and I, and, and, and I hadn't, and they, they had found some internal bleeding, and, and they rushed me to x-ray, and, and there's so much going on that other lady hit was there, and little little x-ray technician said, can you stand up? I said, I don't know. I hadn't tried yet today. You know, I'd had a concussion, all this stuff. It probably wasn't the smartest thing the x-ray tech ever did. So I tried to stand up, and I started just sliding down the wall. I couldn't stand up. And she was a little girl. She had her hands on my chest. She's trying to, she's back like this, trying to keep me from sliding down the wall. And I was just sliding down the wall. She's yelling for help. And they put me back on the table, and I start getting fuzzy, fuggy, fuzzy, foggy. That's what I'm trying to say. 
I didn't say froggy. I'm getting fuzzy and the gray's coming in, and I don't want to pass out because I know I got some internal stuff going on. I'm trying to hold on, and it's just closing in. And then I'm laying on that table, and to the top of my head, something started. Heat started on the top of my head, and it moved down. I felt it move through my whole body. And, 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 and then when I, they rolled me out, uh, my family was there. Phyllis was there. Mother and dad were there. And, and they looked at me and said, what happened to you? Because they saw me go in. And they saw what it looked like when it came out. I said, I was laying in there, and God healed me. There's people praying. There's power when God's people start to pray. There's something that's different when, when you begin to work through this thing. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. There is something about his church that's just not ordinary. What does this mean? We, we, we need to have some more things going on where people say, what does this mean? And not just miracles, those kind of miracles. Miracles, by the way, you love people that you've never loved before. You forgave people you couldn't forgive before. How many hear what I'm saying? They watch the Holy Spirit work in us. And whether we're speaking in tongues at that moment or another way, the Holy Spirit's moving. So let me hurry on. I'm, I'm, I'm really taking too much time on this. So, so what happens here? So they say, what's going on? What, what does this mean? Something was, they were seeing something they had never seen before. Something had happened. Hold your place here, and, and let's go to John chapter 14. We're going to come back, John. Now, that, pardon me, I look at a Bible like a book. And so, on your device, you'll have to come back to that. But let's, let's go to John chapter 14. And I want you to look at verse John 14 and verse 15. See, what happened? Something was birthed that day. Look at somebody and say, something new happened. Tell someone, something new happened. It was the birth of something different. The people gathered there, the Jews in the city were very religious and they knew about God and they knew about law and they knew about regulations, but they had never seen this kind of thing. Something new was going on. How many hear what I'm saying today? And what was this new thing that happened on that day? See, Jesus had promised this in John 14 and in verse number 15, he said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That literally means, he said, I'm going to send him someone. You're going to, I'm going to send someone just like me, another, one like me, okay? So they're encouraged. He says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Watch this. For he lives with you. That's what they had known up until this time. The Holy Spirit had been with them. Jesus had been with them. But you know him for he lives with you and will be all. So everything's about to change. Now he says he's going to be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How did Jesus come to them through the person of the Holy Spirit. So something new happened on that day. I want you to get this. Nothing had ever happened like this before. Now, people who put their faith in Christ did not just have God with them. God lived in them. It changed everything. It was brand new. We now, when we accept Christ, have the same spiritual DNA as you read about in the book of Acts. How many hear what I'm saying? Same spiritual DNA. It's better than that. The spiritual DNA of the church is not just the DNA of the apostles because we didn't receive this from the apostles. We received it through his people from God. So the church has the DNA of the Spirit of God in us. How many hear what I'm saying? Talking about how we were birthed and who we are. So now this new creation, this believer, this human being carrying the Spirit of God inside of us. We have His nature. Do you know the nature of God lives in you today? How many can say amen to that? The nature of God. Well, pastor, 
if the nature of God lives in us, then why do we still have some junk going on? Don't raise your hand. But how many of you would honestly say, I know if God lives in me, I still don't act like him all the time. If the nature of God is in me, how come I still do some of the other things I do? Listen, because the Bible says the nature of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who now lives in us, is still living in us. There's the issue. There's the deal. The Spirit of Almighty God is living in these human vessels. Don't you wish? See, it's called heaven when us is gone and just he remains, see? Glorified bodies, no more sinful nature. So the Holy Spirit is living in our humanity, inside of us. That's why there are such things as carnal Christians. Has anybody ever known a carnal Christian? What do you mean? Well, you know what I'm talking about. Breaking it down on Saturday night, praising it up on Sunday morning. (laughs) You, You know what I'm talking about. Carnal Christians, think of it, think of it. The Spirit of Almighty God living in us, and sometimes we act like we don't even know who He is. Come on. Act like Peter, the night he betrayed him. You know, go to church. (laughs) Yes, Lord. Go to work. Are you a Christian? I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know who he is. You know, that man finally hit you up on eHarmony. He said, you go to church, you go, uh, do you? You know, hedging your bet, aren't you? He says, no. You said, man, he's awful good looking. I don't either, honey. Come on, let's go. Carnal Christians. The Spirit of God living in this vessel. And so what happens is something needs to shift. Something needs to die. Something needs to get put on the altar. Come on, don't look at me funny like that. Talking about who we are. Who we are, our potential is unlimited. Just like he begins to live in us and the Holy Spirit baptizes us, we can can pray beyond our ability. The Bible says in Romans 8, sometimes we don't know what we ought to pray. We, we don't know what to do. Our, we're limited, but the Holy Spirit prays through us. And now we begin to pray in a tongue that God gives us, and it's not limited to us. And sure, somebody's going to laugh at that. Flesh will always fight the Spirit. Religion will always fight relationship. Theology, theologians will always fight those who have relationship. But just like our prayer language now is unlimited, I want you to know the good news is, is that I can begin to live this life. You can begin to live this Christian life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what you could never say no to before, you can say no to now. And what you could not overcome before, you can overcome now. But you're going to have to have some altar times. How many hear what I'm saying? Because you're more familiar with the fleshly nature than the spirit sometimes in your life. And so your mind says, if you stop hanging out with him, you're not going to have any fun. But the spirit says, if you'll start hanging out with him, you're going to have the greatest life you ever had. And the flesh will say to you, sir, you know you're a grown man. Nobody can tell you what to do. I'm a grown man. Everybody's born grows up, buddy. So you're a grown man. And now what do we have to prove? I'm a grown man. 
I'm not going to go to church and that preacher's not going to tell me how to live. I don't want to tell you how to live because I'm not the Holy Spirit. But the Bible gives us some pretty good information about how to live. But don't tell me what to do. I'm a grown man. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. Fine. Be a carnal Christian. Knock yourself out. Live at about 10% of what you could do as a believer. But while the carnal nature is telling you you're a grown man, the Spirit of God is saying, why don't you be an altered man? Why don't you get on the altar and let the Spirit of God begin to work in your life? And then instead of running and dodging and slipping and sliding and hiding and being slick willy, you become a man of God. You begin to live without any secrets. You begin to live without any hidden things. You begin to live where you don't care who picks up your phone or turns on your computer or walks in behind you or follows your car or drives you somewhere else because once you were lost and now you're found. Once you were bound, now you're set free. Once you did your thing, now you do his thing. I'm getting hot back there so the point is the point the point is is that as you begin to serve the lord it does get hot on the altar sometimes but if you'll stay there the spirit of god will begin to do something in your life as you stay there the holy spirit will begin to do something what do you want to do peter was a man look let's look at this so they said we don't know what's going on are you guys drunk what's happening i'm reading about our family now see 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 some of us just have a family they were drunk but, the, but, but these were people who weren't drunk and got released from it. Is it I think it's interesting. I don't have time to get on this because I'll lose some people here. But it's interesting to me about drinking in the Holy Spirit. Well, it's going to get quiet. You know, you go to Ephesians chapter 5 and it says, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I know I'm messing with you now. Okay, it's just, just act like this doesn't bother you and we won't know. All right? Don't be drunk with wine. Well, I know you're a grown man. I know you can do anything you want to do. I know there's some things the Bible says that aren't, uh, you know, bad. Or, or what does it say? Paul says, some things are permissible for me, but they're not expedient. There's some things I can do. I'm still going to go to heaven. But when I take a second look at it, it's not expedient. Don't be letting alcohol take the place of being filled with the Spirit. Isn't it interesting, in this very first occasion, they looked and they said, are they drunk or what? He said, we're not drunk, man. We're full of the Holy Spirit. Could it be that what alcohol, you're trying to get alcohol to do for you, the Holy Spirit could do for you in a better way? Could it be that alcohol just is a substitute for the real goodness of God in your life? Could it be that you could go to sleep and relax at night without a toddy if you just had a little Holy Ghost working in your life? The peace of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to stop on that. But So now you know what I think about that. So, so, so some, however, made fun and said they just had too much wine. But watch this. Then Luke verse 14, what happens when Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit? Remember, he was the denying, cursing, backsliding, leading people to fish away from their calling disciple. Remember him? That's all in the last 40 days. He's had quite a rough run here. And then we come here and it says, Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and began to preach. Do you know what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of ordinary men and women like you and me? He said, Pastor, man, you kind of stepped on me on that drinking thing. Listen, hey, hey, you know, your thing that you're battling may be drinking or maybe this or maybe that or maybe other things, but the good news for us is that whatever we're willing to put on this altar, the Holy Spirit will fill us and put something better in its place. Your life as a Christian is not just doing, stopping the wrong things. It's starting the right 
right things. And if I have enough of the Holy Spirit working in my life, I won't need the things that are robbing me of his blessing in my life. It's not just a life of saying no, no, no. It's a life of saying yes, yes, yes. And when you're full, you're full, and you don't need other things because you're full. How many have ever been so full from a meal you didn't even want to eat dessert? Come on, let me see your hand. You ever been to the buffet and you ate so much of the buffet, then they said, you're going to eat a dessert? I said, no, man, I can't eat it. I don't, I don't want. When you walked in and, and, and to sit out that buffet, when you walked in, did you look at that dessert bar? It was like, mm, I'm going to hit that bad boy when I get done here. I'm coming back. No, I'm coming back. But you stayed so long eating the other things. Is that the next time you looked at dessert bar, you said, I have to check it later. I can't eat anymore right now. See the difference? See, some people think all Christianity is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. You hear very little of that from me. Why? Because everybody else does a good enough job of it. But what I want to tell you is not what you shouldn't do. I want to tell you what you should do. I want to point you to the God who is so good and great and awesome that he will fill you with his spirit and take care of the empty, lonely, low places in my life. Instead of me living off the counterfeits, I walk in the fulfillment of the real things in my life. See, Peter stood up. He had been running, cursing, denying, backsliding, giving up on his calling. And the first thing he did when he was filled with the Holy Spirit is that he stood up. He's not that old one he used to be. He's a new man. He's new. He's, he's Something's changing and happening in his life. I want to be the person. I want to be the church. I want you and I together to be the church so that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, instead of cursing, we're preaching. Instead of running, we're standing. Instead of being in a trap, we're set free. That's you and me. That's the church. Anybody with me today? That's the church. That's who we are. It's not what we have to do. It's what we get to do. For the first time in our life, we finally become the person inside of us we really knew that was there. Some things have to be altered. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you see this new communication. You see this new boldness. Let's, Let's drop down. I need to keep moving here. Look at verse 36. There was a different response now. People responded to the church differently because the church was alive. These weren't just the same thing. Something new happened. Look at verse 36 in chapter 2. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Be baptized. You receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. Watch this. The promise of this Holy Spirit, what? It's for you. Who else is it for? Your children. Who else is it for? All who are far off. Who else? All whom the Lord our God will call. Anybody been called into salvation by the Lord? It's still in place. Aren't you thankful that the church is still the same church and that Jesus is the same? Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized in about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. The first sermon, Peter, who his last 40 days had been spent denying Jesus, cursing at slave, at little servant girls, going back to fishing, giving up on his call as an apostle, but he did something right. He got into a prayer meeting. He came back and and gave God his failures and the disappointments and what he had done, and the Spirit of God filled that man, and it changed his life. 
You know, the good news for every one of us here today, we may have blown it 13 ways, but all you need to do is sincerely come to the Lord and say, oh God, here's my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power will trump everything the enemy's ever done inside your life. That's the strength of God. It's not you and I, the same old people, just trying to do right, faking it, living up to something, having religion. No, it's a personal relationship with Jesus that changes us from the inside out, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he preaches. 3,000 people get saved. Look at verse 42. So what what did we look like at the very beginning? The church. That's who we are. There are four things they did. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Look at this. To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I'm constantly amazed at these four things. What did they do? What was the lifestyle of this church? Watch this. They did what? They devoted to the Word of God, to teaching. They were devoted to prayer. We get that. But there were two other things right there on that list. Fellowship and eating together. They were committed to God and committed to each other. There was this bond, this family, this community, this amazing connection between these believers that said, God, as much as we need you, or we need you, but underneath that in a close, we need each other. It's not the Lone Ranger thing. It's not kind of how we do family today. Our idea of family is individuals, and, and we just kind of come and go through the same house. No, these people who didn't even live in the same house found a way to get together in somebody's house. They ate together. They had fellowship. They loved each other. Watch this. So what happens because of that? Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. They were incredibly generous. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. It was an amazing, dynamic, living, growing, organic gathering of people whose lives had been changed, who had come from all different... This You've got to understand this. These people had come from all these nations. They had different skin. They had different language. They had different customs. But they had so been changed by the power of God that they melded into a community that said, we love God. We love each other. And they were such an example that people watched them and every day they said, I want that Jesus. I want him. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. You know, we can preach without ever using words. The way we love God, the way we love each other, the way we treat each other, the way that we respond to him, the way that we're generous, the way we're kind, the way that God does miracles in our midst so that people have to say something is happening in church that's greater than we are. Anybody hear me today? There, there is a supernatural element about his church that if it's not present, we lose our distinguishing mark. What did he tell Moses in the Old Testament? Moses said, God, I I, want to see you. We sang about his glory today. He said, God, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. What else will separate us from all the peoples of the earth except your spirit? What makes us different than Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam? See, I know it makes some people nervous. I even said those words. You you can't say anything. Listen, listen to me. I love the people that are in those religions. My heart is broken for the delusion that's over their life. And I want you to understand, but truth is truth. And Jesus said, I am not a way, the way, the truth, the life. 
No one comes to the Father but by me. That's not the possession of George Sawyer. That's not the possession of America. That's not the possession of one race or kindred or tribe or tongue. That's the Word of God. And if we love God and we love people, we tell people what He said. And the good news is there is a supernatural element about us that is different than everything else. We don't kill you to make you serve our Allah. We love you until you want to find out who this Jesus is. We don't, make, we don't blow you up with a bomb. We're the ones that are the martyrs. We're the ones that die. We're the ones that love him unto death. We're the ones that have so been changed that we said, I'm willing to die for you to know who he is. That's who we are. The fruit of the Spirit, if you look, is peace and joy and love and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. That's who we are. We are supernaturally transformed. We're not who we were. Anybody still with me today? I want you to see this incredible family that we're part of. It changed everything. I, I want to move on through. In, 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 in Acts 3, Peter and John are just walking to the temple where they went to pray every day, the Bible says. They were walking to the temple. What, something that They were different, though. Something new had happened. The Holy Spirit wasn't just with them. He was in them. And as they walked to the temple in John 3, here's a lame man that the Bible says is laying there every day. They had walked by him hundreds of times. But today as they walked by, he did what he had always done. Give me some money. I'm a beggar. Give me alms. Everything was the same except Peter and John. Everything was the same except two men had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And this time as they walked by, the same guy, same deal. Give me money. I'm a poor man. I'm a layman. And they looked at him, and, and Peter goes, and he looks at John. He says, man, we don't have any money, but I got something better than that. What I have, I want to give you now. See, he'd walked by many times, but he did not have anything to give him. Before he could give him money, he said, I'm, I'm going to change your life today in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And the man jumped up on his feet. And everybody, you talk about amazed and perplexed. Then this guy didn't have protocol. He goes running inside the temple. Woohoo, woohoo. I'm, I'm, I'm healed. You know, he's running around. And they're going, Who is that guy? He said, Looks like the lame man. Said, That's him. And then everybody's really uptight. How did that happen? I thought we killed Jesus. And so it says they interviewed him and they said, we can tell they've been with Jesus. I hope you and I, the church, when we go to work, I hope people talk behind your back. I hope when you leave their break room, they go, I think she's been with Jesus. I hope, I, I hope after you play golf with your buddies and they're driving home, they go, I think that guy's been with Jesus. Huh? I hope the next time your family visits you, what's the next Fourth of July. I hope the next time they come over, they get in the car and leave and go, something different about that family. You know, they've been with Jesus. Come on, let's get really, really real. I hope when you take your kids home today from church, once you, they get out of the car, they go to the room, and they say, did you hear that? Did you see that? I think mom and dad met Jesus today. I think something happened in their life today. Usually we get fried preacher on the way home. <laughs> None of you. That's another church. Usually we get that service for so long. I didn't like that song. Pastor just, oh, my Lord, you know. 
this is 2018. It's not 2,000 years ago. We're not the church they were. What do you mean, ate together in my house? Do you think I'm letting those people come in my house? Who do you think is they ever come in his house? That's what I want to know. Yeah, they do. Several hundred every year in my house. I kind of like what the Bible says. Try to do what it says. It works for me. What about you? <laughs> but today, mom and dad going home. Hey, listen. It would really be awesome if it was on the way to church. <laughs> when I got out and went to class, they'd say, that was different. You know, that, that was pretty cool. Did you, have, did you see how mom talked to dad and dad talked to mom? Before we got there. You know, sometimes they're better on the way home, but this time before we got there. You know, this time they acted the way they act when we get there. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this time on the way to church... They acted like when they get to church. I think mom and dad been with Jesus. I'm just saying, you know, don't, don't, you understand. I know you, this is just for uh, Facebook Live and live stream. It's not for anybody. Okay. Man, different people. Acts 4, they throw them in jail. And they release them and said, we're going to let you go, but don't you ever talk about Jesus again. And they go have a prayer meeting, and this is their prayer meeting. The Lord, give us boldness to preach about him more than we ever have before. And the Bible says, literally, the building shook. Man, I want to be in a church where the building shakes and it's not an earthquake. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Would that, I know enough about this. That's when I'm going to give an altar call, too, because it's going to be, yes, sir, buddy. Those chairs start rocking, and you roll out of that chair. I'm like, come to Jesus right now. If you want to come, come on. I know when to give an altar call. I've been at this a while. Come on. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira tried to lie to the Holy Spirit. They said, this Holy Spirit thing is not real. This is all a game. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and they're done. Chapter 6, the church is growing, and, and this group of widows say, you're not, they're not feeding these widows. They didn't have a heart problem. They had an organizational problem. They got that right. The church just kept growing. Acts chapter 7, Stephen preached the gospel to the Pharisees that had crucified Jesus so powerfully that demonically they screamed at him and covered their ears and stoned him to death. And then go to chapter 8 with me, and I want to read this to you. Then we're, I'm, I'm going to make a parallel here. Anybody, I'm just giving you the family history. It's birthday. Just showing you who we are. This is who we are. Man. The church is amazing. God's plan is amazing. It's powerful. It's just, it, it alters everything. It's not natural. We're supernatural. Acts 8. So what happened? Stephen has now been martyred. We read Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Wait, wait, wait. Remember, let's go back to Acts 1, verse 8. What did he say? He said, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power, right? And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Man, they were so powerful. Listen to this. They said, the only way to stop, we're going to have to kill these people to stop these people. It's amazing. They were so powerful and bold. You know what? Can I help you with something? Right now, here in America today, God's not asking you to die for your faith. He's asking you to live for your faith. He's asked me to die to myself and live to my faith. That's in America. In other places, people are dying for their faith. You and me, our job is to live for our faith. Can we do that? 
Can we do that, church family? If our brothers and sisters around the world are dying for their faith, could we live for our faith today? Can we proclaim the gospel, tell the truth, love the hurting, be bigger than ourselves, forgive those who hurt us, be willing to, to do those things? So, so watch this. So he said, you're going to preach the gospel in Judea. Then he said, where are you going to preach it in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? Wow, watch this. So they spread throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Man, it's rough. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Watch this. Those who had been scattered, you think it would be the last thing. This is what created the issue. Those that were scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see that? See, the devil's fury is blind. And he thought, if I can kill Stephen, I can intimidate the church, it's going to be over. But as the church was scattered from persecution, they went to the very places that Jesus said they would go. And when they went, he went with them. And now instead of 12 apostles preaching in Jerusalem, the Bible says everyone that scattered preached the gospel everywhere they went. Do you see the New Testament priesthood that we talked about? It's not just a handful of people. It's not the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament or 12 apostles in the New Testament. It is the church. And everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. Why? Because he was with them. The very thing that caused them to be scattered was the very thing they knew was the most important thing in their life. My job assignment is to let everybody know that Jesus loves them and can change their life. And they preached. So what happened? Look at this. These aren't apostles. I want you to get this. These aren't apostles. There are many theologians that tell you today that once those original 12 apostles died, that the Holy Spirit stopped working in their life. But the apostles were not the source of the Holy Spirit. He just worked through them in that day. God is our source. And so now the apostles are in Jerusalem, but these are people, ordinary people. Philip was one of the deacons, not an apostle, not a prophet, not an evangelist, not a pastor, not a teacher, what we call a layman one of the regular Sunday church attenders. But he was full of the Holy Spirit. So watch this. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. That's who we are. That's who we are. Look at somebody and tell them that's who you are. Tell them that. That's who you are. You and I are not some watered-down 21st century version of the church. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The power of the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The plan of God for the church is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Said so, Pastor, I, I, man, I don't know about miracles or stuff. You mean i got to go preach and cast out demons? No, no, no. I want you to live for him. Don't be afraid to share the gospel. You can, listen, you'll never know. You can walk in the room and not even know it or say it, and the demons will leave that room. Why? Because greater is one that is in you than he that is in this world. When you go home and their kids are driving you crazy and your prodigal sons and daughters are far away from God, what you need to know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in your mortal body today. We're the same church. We have the same anointing, the same wisdom, understanding, and revelation that they had. We're the same church. That's how the church began. That's who the church is. 
is. That's who the church will always be. We do not need anyone telling us we're not who we used to be. We need someone telling let's be who we're supposed to be. That's the church. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there are different personalities and different gifts. There are different ways that God does these miracles. You don't have to be loud and hold a microphone and preach like me. You, you can just be who you are and love God and love people. Anointed by the Holy Spirit. See, I, I believe that God will anoint you to do anything that you're supposed to do in His name, in your own gift, in your own calling. See, it's, He will anoint you. He will empower you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be the church, to love the unlovable, to forgive those that are hard to forgive, to walk away from the things that we're supposed to lay on this altar. Can I tell you something? Everything that hinders you or me from being filled with the Holy Spirit is a counterfeit and a substitute. And if you'll trust Him to lay that on the altar, the Holy Spirit will fill that place up in your life. The Holy Spirit will empower you. I want to say again, the church is not a group of uptight, judgmental individuals who are living in this world and don't know how to have fun and don't know what's going on. That's not who we are. We're real people living in a real world who've made a decision. I've encountered the living God, and I'd rather have Jesus than this other stuff. I'd rather have the reality than the counterfeit. I'd rather trust him and lay some things down. I'd rather have less so that I could have more of him. I'd rather walk away from this so I could know the goodness of God in my life. You know that that relationship that's messing you up, that you're struggling with, that keeps pulling you down. You know, not it's not just because, oh, you're bad and oh, they're bad. It's because it's robbing you of the God's best in your life. There's something better in your life. There is a promise. There is the goodness of God. I can tell you, everything you give to God, you'll never regret everything you keep those are the things you regret because the Holy Spirit will fill that place enable you you know the Bible says that he works in you listen to this he works in you both to do and to will his purpose in your life what is that? the Holy Spirit is working in you right now to give you the desire to do the right thing and the ability to do it that's what the Holy Spirit does 